0: Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. So today is week six of our ongoing series in the Letter to the Ephesians. And just listen for a moment to a sampling of what we've heard so far over the past five messages. We've heard this We are recipients of grace and countless riches. We must thank God for his work in others and pray that we comprehend what we have received. We must trust and hope in the risen Christ. Once we were hopeless, far off, enemies, separated from God's presence. But now, we have hope and peace, we've been brought near, and we are His children and His dwelling place. Now, that's obviously not an exhaustive list of what we've talked about over the past five weeks, but what I think is evident is that Paul, so far in Ephesians, has been laying uh, kind of a a foundation uh, in this letter of what Christ has accomplished and who we are and what we have because of who He is and what He's done. So remember, just as a way of reminder, that Ephesians is a circular letter. This is not written to a specific church with a specific situation or a specific set of problems that Paul's addressing. This is a letter originally sent to one church but intended to circulate throughout several churches. And it's very fundamental and applies to Christians everywhere in every situation. So, Paul is laying this foundation that we've been talking about. Today's passage at the end of chapter 3 is going to kind of bring all of that to a close. It serves as a bit of a transition from all this fundamental stuff that we've been talking about to what's coming in the, in the following weeks where things are going to get more directly practical. Um, the title of today's message is called power to live. Power to live. And I am really excited to preach about this topic. Um, This serves as a pivot point in the letter and it involves something that Paul has not talked about yet, at least not in this letter. He's addressed it elsewhere in other letters, but in Ephesians up to this point, he has not talked about power, power. And he's going to address this issue of power by praying. All right? He's praying for the people that he's writing this letter to. But by extension, what that means is that he's praying this for you. And he's praying this for me. And my hope today is that you will be inspired when you leave here and in the coming, well, I was going to say days, but really the rest of your life, that you would pray this for yourself and that you would pray this for others. So, let's read Paul's prayer, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll jump into the passage. This is what Paul prays. If you're following along in your copy of the Scriptures, this is Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, continuing through the end of the chapter in 21. It says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And that sound like powerful words. I hope that as we pull it apart this morning, it becomes even more powerful powerful to you. So, let's pray. Father God, if we are going to learn anything this morning, if we are going to grow in any way that You would have us grow, Lord, if I am going to speak words from my mouth that are Your words and exactly what You want Your gathered church here in Indiana, Pennsylvania to hear this morning, then we are going to need Your help. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill my mouth, quicken my spirit to hear your voice so that I could say what you would have me say. And, Lord, I ask for everyone hearing this, that you would open our eyes, you would open our ears, and that extraordinary things uh, would happen in the lives of those who you love this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So for those of you who like to take notes and know how to organize your notes before you get started, there are four points today, all right? The first point is experiencing God's power starts on a foundation of justification. Experiencing God's power starts on a foundation of justification. There is no power without justification by faith in Christ Jesus. Everything that we're going to talk about today in this passage is pointless to talk about if there is no justification. If you've not been saved by faith through grace in Christ Jesus, then then the issue of power is a non-issue, okay? There's got to be a foundation. The whole thing crumbles if there's not a foundation of justification. So, Paul starts this passage by referring back to the foundation. And he says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, I just a little bit ago mentioned some of the things we've talked about so far in the letter to Ephesians. So, we've already talked about some of those reasons, but wouldn't it be nice to know what specifically Paul is referring to when he says, for this reason. What is that reason he's talking about? Now, do you remember in the past, regardless of who's teaching, we've talked about uh, what principle we should exercise when we see the word therefore. When we are reading Scripture and we see therefore, we need to go back and see what it's there for, right? That's like the little catchphrase that you remember to go back and look and see the context. It's the same thing when we consider for this reason. We need to treat that like a therefore. We need to go back. And what we usually do is look at the preceding context right before he says it. But in this case, that doesn't work because Paul, like maybe some other people you know, tends to go off on tangents. And this passage today is starting in verse 14, but if you just look at the top of your page or the beginning of chapter 3 or you know, scroll your Bible app to the top, you'll see that chapter three started with another for this reason. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then maybe your copy has a little dash there. Do you have a little dash? And I think that dash means Paul's about to like get distracted by something else. And he goes off on a tangent. And that tangent was what Joe preached last week. (laughs) All right. And then 13 verses later, he comes back to, oh yeah, for this reason, I bow my knee. And so then he goes on with this point. So if we're going to see what this for this reason is, we actually have to go back a little farther into chapter two. Now, before I tell you what that reason is, I want to say this first. Please don't take my word for it. All right, I've looked at this over the past couple of weeks as I've prepared, but we want you to be studiers of the Scriptures, all right? So, don't just take my word for it. Go back and look and see if you agree that this is the reason Paul is talking about. And if you don't, that's great. Look to see what the reason you think it is that he's referring to, and then let's talk about it because that would be fun, all right? But this is what I see. If we go back to Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 17, it says this, and he came and preached peace In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that's the end of chapter 2. And the next thing he says is, for this reason, for this reason. So, you probably noticed as the Scripture was up there on the wall behind me that lots of it was underlined, right? Thank you, Brian Wolfe, for tolerating all of my underlining, all right? Um, so, the for this reason, I think, is actually several reasons. We can look and see that those who were far off and those who were near now have peace. That's a reason. We can see that Gentiles, which as a reminder, that's you and I, Gentiles are no longer refugees in a foreign land. We heard Andrew speak of that a couple of weeks ago. That's a reason That's Paul's referring to. We've heard that Jews and Gentiles have been made fellow citizens. Joe taught about that last week. We've been united and made fellow citizens. That's a reason that Paul is referring to. It, we can see that we are being built together into one household. That's a reason that Paul's referring to. But there's one thing in that passage that I think Paul has particularly in mind more than any of those other reasons, and that's the word access. Do you have that, Brian? Next slide, I think. Oh, no, that's there. I wasn't looking far enough to the side. Good job. I told Brian to make sure this one stood out. So he made it bold, italicized, and double underlined. So good job, Brian. The Scripture says we have access in one spirit. We have access in one spirit. I think that's what Paul has in mind because look at what he's doing. He knows, he knows that he and you And every believer who has experienced justification has access in one spirit to the Father. And because he has that access, he's exercising his right to access by bowing his knee and turning to the Lord in prayer. He's taking this posture of humility to come before the Lord because something has been purchased for him and for you, and for me, called access. And so he's going to pray this prayer before the Lord because he has access to the Lord. And he's going to ask for something totally impossible. By his own admission, he's going to ask for something that he admits is impossible. But don't worry, it's also possible because he wouldn't be asking it if it weren't, all right? Now, the only way we are going to experience power is if we take advantage of that access. So that's why I've said, and I'm gonna keep saying, my hope for you is that as we go through this prayer today, that it becomes something that you regularly make a part of your prayer life, something that you are regularly pursuing in your relationship with the Lord. And that's access to the Father, specifically looking for to be strengthened with power, which we'll get into in a little bit, all right? The impossible thing is more than deliverance. Justification is the foundation. If without justification, there is no power, but it goes beyond justification. This is about living in power, power to live. Think about it this way. This is more, what Paul's talking about is more than just being released from prison. If someone was released from prison, if you were sitting in prison with a death sentence and someone came in and said, hey, you're released. I'm taking your place. You are free to go. I'm gonna serve this sentence for you. I'm gonna pay the price for you. And you were released from prison. You wouldn't just sit outside the walls, right? You wouldn't just sit there and be thankful that you've been released from prison. You could do that and you'd have every reason to be thankful that you've been set free from the prison you were in. But that's not what you'd do, you'd go home. You'd go home and you'd do the things that you were unable to do when you were in prison. What Paul is talking about here is more than just not dying, he's talking about living. He's talking about living the way that Christ calls us to live. And if we're going to do that, then power is a necessity. So here's the summary of point one. Here's the foundation. Justification is the foundation that is necessary for power, but we can't stop there. We can't stop there. We must exercise the access that has been purchased for us, just like Paul is doing as he bows his knee before the Father, because we have been called to something more. Does that make sense? All right, so let's move on. Here's here's point number two, and this is the big one. This is kind of the meat of what I want to tell you today. We are called to live in power. We're called to live in power, not just not die. We're called to live in power, He goes on to say this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I wanna pull apart each one of those little phrases that were underlined as I read that so that we can have a deeper understanding of what exactly Paul is praying for you and what I want you to, have, have, to be praying for for yourself. He starts by saying the riches of His glory. Now, let me ask you a yes, no question, and I want you to answer this out loud. Has He, the Lord, not Paul, has He lavished us with blessing upon blessing upon blessing? Yes. Yes. Let me ask you another one. Couldn't we honestly say, regardless of our situation in life, and some of us have some difficult situations, Couldn't we honestly say that he has given us and given to us and given to us so much more than we could possibly ever deserve? Yes, all right, I agree. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about when he says the riches of his mercy. I think he's talking about something else. Let me demonstrate. What do I have? I knew, I, knew, I knew Tim was going to say two by four. That is why I asked that question, because I knew Tim was going to say two by four. You're right. It's a two by four. Let's call it, for the point of this illustration, a piece of wood. All right? It's a piece of wood. And this is a jar of water. Now, think back to grammar lessons when you were in fifth grade and what you learned about how the English language works. Both of these is a noun, an object, a piece and a jar. And it's followed by a prepositional phrase, of wood and of, of water, right? Piece of wood, jar of water. But the way those two grammatical phrases work are vastly different from one another. Did anybody catch what the big, big difference is? Piece of wood, jar of water. This is a piece. The object is a piece, And what it's made of, what its substance is, what its essence is, what it is from the outside to the inside all the way through is wood. It's a piece of wood. This is a jar. It's not of water. Its essence is not water. It's glass. It's a jar holding water. Do you see the difference? This is a piece of wood. It's wood. This is a jar of water. It's a jar that holds water. I think that is how we need to understand the riches of his mercy. When Paul is talking about the riches of his mercy, he's not talking about what the Lord contains, he's not talking about what the Lord offers, he's not talking about what the Lord gives. Those are all true things. We have so many blessings that we have received from the Lord. But I think what Paul is talking about when he says riches of His glory, I think I might have said mercy before, riches of His glory, he's talking about the Lord Himself. He Himself, His very being, the essence of who He is. Those are the riches that Paul is referring to. So when he says, according to the riches of His glory, what he's really saying is, because of the very substance of who God is, because of the substance of who God is. And then he goes on to say that God may grant us to be strengthened with power in His Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Strengthened with power in His Spirit. Well, like most of you, I drove a car to get here to church today. I drive a car to work every day. And my car has a power source. It's called the engine. In the case of my car that I drive to work every day, it is a very small, tired, overworked, 16-year-old power source called an engine. But still, when I step on the gas, the engine provides power to strengthen the car to make the car do what it was intended to do. The car does not do anything without the power source of the engine. What Paul is saying is power has a source. Power has a source. If we are going to be strengthened in power, that power has to come from somewhere. And the source of our power spiritually is God's Holy Spirit. Now, what you might be thinking is, well, that's easy to understand because doesn't every Christian have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them? And the answer is yes. We're going to talk about that more a little later. But also, that's not what Paul, I think, is referring to here. We're also going to talk about that a little bit later. Let let me move on, and I'll come right back to that in a minute. The next thing he says is that this strength that we're going to receive in power in His Spirit is going to be in our inner being. What is the inner being? I mean, it's the thing, just like my car is powered from the engine, the inner being is the thing that is being powered here in Paul's prayer. So, what is an inner being. I mean, if, if we were talking about an outer being, it would make more sense to us to wrap our minds around strengthening or what strength looks like in an outer being. When we think about outer being strength, we might think about the ability to lift a heavy weight, or we might imagine that someone is strong when they are able to survive on their own with no supplies in a very inhospitable environment. Or we might find that someone is strong if they are able to go to battle with someone who is armed, an armed enemy, and defeat them. Those are all examples of outer being strength. And in a lot of situations in our lives, we admire or even glorify people who are able to do or achieve these great feats of outer being strength. Just think of the Olympics. The Olympics are like a three-week time of admiring people who can do things that the rest of us can't do in their outer being strength. But look what Paul says in a different letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what he says about our outer being. In this passage, he calls it our outer self. He says, so we do not lose heart. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Can you see with your eyes your inner self? No, you can't. We might be able to see evidence of it, but when I look out at you, I'm seeing a whole bunch of outer selves, right? But your inner self is this thing that you all have that Paul is referring to in Ephesians It's the thing that's being strengthened. In 2 Corinthians 4, it's the thing that's being renewed day by day. And I think both things are the same. He's talking about the same thing. Outer being strength is temporal. He says it's transient. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. I don't want to sound depressing, but all of our bodies are failing us. You know, we talked about the Olympics just a minute ago. I remember, I don't even know when it was, but a few Olympics ago, who was the guy? Uh, Usain Bolt set the record for the, the fastest time in the 100 meters, right? He's the world's fastest man. I'm certain that wherever he is today, he can't run that fast anymore. You know, years have gone by and our outer self wastes away. He's not setting that record anymore. But our inner being is being renewed by day by day. It's being strengthened, and it's eternal. It's eternal. It's not going to be transient or uh, temporal. So, what is the result? If our inner being is being strengthened, we know what outer being strength looks like. What does inter- inner being strength look like? What do we have the power to do? Now, I want you to hear these examples because I'm sure there are people all over the room who need to hear that you can have power to be strengthened in your inner being to be able to do these things, to have the strength to do these things. Consider these. When your inner being is strengthened, you have the power, maybe not to lift a heavy weight, but to bear a great burden. You have the power to bear a great burden for the kingdom of God. You have the power to endure in extreme situations without losing faith. The power to endure without losing faith. You have the power, when you are strengthened in your inner being, you have the power to defeat sin, to put it to death. We sang this morning, sin no longer has a hold on me. You have the power, when you are strengthened in your inner being, to put sin to death. You have the power to live in holiness and radical contrast to what the world is telling you is the way you should live. You have the power to do hard things and not just take the easy way. You have power to rest in what Christ has done for you. And then I feel like this happens every time I preach. I added a note in while We were worshiping this morning because someone said something at the mic and I thought I need to say that when I teach. Young people, you have the power regardless of your age. If you have put your faith in Christ and you are strengthened in your inner being as you exercise this access that you have to Him, you have the power to be an example of godliness and purity and holiness for the people around you, for the people in this church, for people in your family, for people in your school. You have the power to do that. In other words, you have the power to not just be made alive, but to live. You have the power to live the way Christ has called you to live. The next phrase in this passage is that Christ may dwell In your hearts through faith. He said that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, the danger here when you read that passage is to think that he's talking about being saved, that we would be strengthened in our inner being so that we can be saved, so that we can be born again so that Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith. It sounds like that. But Paul is talking to people who already know the Lord. He's already talking to Christians. This is what I was referring to before when I said, doesn't every Christian have the Spirit of God inside them? Yes, he does. So what in the world does he mean when he's talking to Christians who already have the Spirit of God and he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? Well, he's not talking about receiving new life, but he's talking about how to live the new life. Have I said that a few times already this morning? I hope I'm getting that point across. I will admit that I often uh, struggle or maybe struggle is not the word, but I often find it difficult to explain to people what it means to be filled with the Spirit because that command to be filled with the Spirit is another command that's said to Christians who already have the Spirit. So trying to explain what that means to be filled with the Spirit can be tricky sometimes. We know that every Christian has God's Spirit. I'm not gonna read it, but if you wanna write it in your notes or look it up right now, Romans 8 verse 9 tells us with certainty that there's no category of Christian who does not have the Spirit of God, that doesn't exist. So what is he talking about? Well, as I've looked through this passage this week, it's helped me a lot to understand what Paul might be talking about here. Later on in Ephesians, in chapter five, he's going to tell us to be filled with the Spirit. And I think he's saying, remember, don't take my word for it. Go look at this stuff for yourself. I think that he's saying the same thing that he says in chapter three, when he refers to Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And I wrestled with how to say this and I wrote it down and I want to read it to you because I don't want to paraphrase it and mess it up. Here's what I think he's talking about. When we exercise faith that has been given to us, we don't receive the presence of God. We already have the presence of God, but rather we experience the presence of God in a more acute way. Let me say that again. Remember, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit or in this passage what Paul is referring to as Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. When we exercise faith that has been given to us, we don't receive the presence of God, we already have the presence of God. But rather, we experience the presence of God in a more acute way. Acute way. Now, if we took what we just learned from those four little phrases in that passage, I think it's verse 16 and part of 17, and we remember that Paul, in this posture of humility, is bowing his knee because he knows that he has access before the Father, and he's praying this prayer for you. Here's how we could say this kind of in a paraphrase. This is the Rummel version, if you will. All right? starting in Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verse 16. It could say this, that as a result of the very essence of who God is, God may build and strengthen your eternal inner self with power that comes from the source of His Holy Spirit so that by exercising faith, you may more acutely be aware of, of God's presence. That's amazing stuff. Like, I want to pray that. I want to live that. In other words, what he's saying is, Christian, live. Don't just be set free from death and stop there and sit around waiting for Christ to come back. Live. Live the life that he's called you to live. It's going to require power and the exercise of access and faith? Why do I keep harping on this? Why do I keep saying that over and over again? Living, not just being set free from death, but living. Why do I keep harping on it? Because have you stopped to consider who Paul is talking about in this passage? Who's he talking about? Maybe another way to ask the question is this, and you can answer this one for real. Is he talking about this vertical relationship that we as a church and as individuals have with the God who we serve or is he talking about the horizontal relationship that we have with others, those around us and reaching out to the world? It's the vertical one. It's the vertical one. What he's been talking about all the way through Ephesians so far is about this relationship with God, who we are, what we have, because of who he is and what he's done. He's talking about developing this relationship, being strengthened in our inner being. It's, a, it's a, a, I keep saying relationship and I'm searching for another word, but I can't come up with one. It's a relationship with God the Father that is changing us so that when we turn the page on chapter three and get into the more practical things, that's where it can get more horizontal. But this has to come first. This has to come first. That's why it's so important. Now, the other fear that I have is that when we talk about power, that many of us, myself included sometimes, automatically equate power with healing and receiving some kind of special knowledge from the Lord or fill in the blank. Anything else that you could put in there that your mind or my mind would categorize as that's particularly miraculous. Like that's, that's real power there. And that's true. There is power in those things. There is the Holy Spirit at work in power in those things. But do you know what is more, maybe not more miraculous, just as, if not more, miraculous, just as, if not more, extraordinary is that you and I could be one way today. We could think one way today. We could behave because of the way we think one way today. We could have some kind of thought about the character of God and have our whole lives directed by that thought about the character of God maybe incorrectly today. And then tomorrow be totally different because our inner being was strengthened with power, our eyes were opened, and now miraculously our heart is different than it was yesterday. That is miraculous. That is powerful. There is nothing more stubborn than the human heart. So for us to be one way one day and then strengthened with power through His Spirit and different another day, That is something to celebrate. It's amazing and it's extraordinary. And that is how we are called to live. Not just be saved and then stagnant. We're called to live. Amen? So what will be the result? Point three, we will know the unknowable. We will know the unknowable. So if we pursue in prayer, this vertical relationship, if we exercise that access, if we are intentional about our relationship with God, what's going to happen? Paul says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. First of all, there's that little phrase in there that says, rooted and grounded in love. I'm skipping over it for today, not because it's not important, but because I don't have time. I will tell you this, that there's a good debate going on out there as to where that phrase should go. Is it connected as an afterthought to the things we just talked about? Or is is it connected as a precursor to what we're about to talk about? I have thoughts about that, but I'm not telling. You gotta figure it out for yourself, okay? Maybe talk about it at fellowship groups this week. But we're gonna move on to the next thing. What is the result of this relationship as we receive power in the Holy Spirit? Well, the result is we have a lot to learn. There is a lot available for us to learn. Paul says that we may comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Of what? Well, he doesn't really say because he just leaves that hanging. But I think we have a illustration You remember these from uh, math class a million years ago, right? So, take a look at that and think, all right, that five meters is maybe the breadth, the 10 meters is the length, the four meters is the height, and everything inside there is the depth, like the volume of it. Imagine that being like a swimming pool, and you're swimming around in there exploring all the volume of that shape. But now imagine that instead of saying five, 10, and four, it says infinity in every direction. That, I think, is what Paul is talking about, and I think he's thinking back to when he talked about the riches of his glory, and he's thinking ahead to the end of this sentence when he says all the fullness of God, that we would be able to comprehend all the fullness of God that is infinitely searchable, infinitely searchable. And that may sound very daunting, but it makes sense that we could comprehend it. Because Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For in Him Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. So it makes sense that we would be able to comprehend the fullness of God. But then Paul goes on and says this, and just like totally blows our mind. He says, and to know The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know something that you can't know. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The surpassing love of Christ is beyond our ability to grasp. But here's what I want to tell you. This is not the kind of impossible. Remember I said Paul was going to pray something that was impossible? This is not the kind of impossible that you should think, well, if, the, if knowing the love of Christ is unknowable, then why even try? Like, I'm never gonna know it, so why even try? That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying instead is, go looking for this, search for it, and you will find it, and you will find it, and you will find it, and you will keep finding it, and you will never get to the end of it. You can swim to the bottom of that swimming pool, and you will never get to the bottom. You can plop you in the middle. You'll never find one of the walls. You can search forever. You're never, never going to come to the end of the amount of love Christ has for you. You'll never get there. But boy, will you have joy in finding and searching. So he's calling you to do just that. And that brings us to the final point, which is this. Number four, where our capability fails, God prevails. Where our capability fails, God prevails. None of what we've been talking about, honestly, is possible in our own strength. It's kind of pointless to talk about our capability. But I I think you know what I mean. You know, what I'm getting at here is where we could never do it, God is able. And I think Paul recognizes that and I think has a little bit of a sense of humor. I can imagine him writing these words and imagining what his first audience was gonna be thinking when he says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so he puts this little tag on there at the end. I can, I can just imagine him like taking a breath and going, okay, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Some of your translations may say, now to him who is able to do above and beyond or immeasurably more or above all things or exceeding abundantly. The point is still, while we could never find these things on our own, Christ is able. He is able to show us. He is able to do far more than we could even think about. Power to live. That's what we're talking about today. Not just being set free, but living. Living in Christ. That can look like a lot of things. We mentioned a couple of things earlier that I said I I was willing to bet applied to people in this room um, about the changing of our hearts and what we have the power to do. But as I've prepared this this week and I've asked the Lord what it is He would want me to communicate to you to be doing now, like as you hear this message, how do you respond to it? Not just this week, but like right now, like in the next moments, what would He want me to communicate for you to do? And the thing that I think He wants me to say to you this morning, church, is that you have the power to defeat sin. You have the power to defeat sin in your life. And I think one of the reasons the Lord wants you to hear that is because I think we have a habit sometimes of treating sin in our lives too lightly. We make, we make one of two errors. There are probably more, but we either think, well, I'm better than the guy who sits down the row from me here. You know what I mean? Like I'm doing better than he is, you know, or I go to work and I work with colleagues and, uh, you know, they're like using bad language all the time and they're doing all these, terrible. I don't do any of that stuff. I'm probably okay. Like that's one way to treat it lightly. Or another way to treat it overly lightly is you've been fighting a sin for a long time and you haven't made any headway and you think, what's the point? I give up. I'm not going to beat it anyway. Well, let that thought be the first thing that you put to death this week. Because it is not true that you cannot overcome sin. You can. You have the power through His Holy Spirit to defeat sin. And it can seem impossible, but remember Paul just said, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. It is possible for him. Let's have the band come up. And while they're coming up, let's just close. I'd like to close with this. My prayer for you this morning is the same thing. And I should, I should say also that it's a prayer for myself. I need this just as much. My prayer for you is the same thing that Paul just prayed, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I believe that's what the Lord would have us tasked with doing starting right now. I want you to think about this week, starting immediately, to be going on a mission. Going on a mission Against sin and to defeat its power in your life. Rodney read from Ephesians 6. We do not struggle against flesh and blood. That's not what our struggle is against. But we have been armed. We have been armed with weapons. We have a shield of faith. Exercise faith. We have a sword of the Spirit. Wield your sword and defeat sin in your life. Don't wait. Start right now. We're going to have a prayer team up here at the end. If you want to start right now, and that means coming to pray with someone, we would love to do that. All right? There's no embarrassment in that. Just come and pray. We would love to pray for you. We have access to the Lord, and when we exercise that access, we have power to be strengthened in our inner being, to be changed be different tomorrow than we were today. Amen? Amen? Let's stand. We're going to pray. And then we're going to sing a song that I grew up with and I asked these guys to do today. And I'm thankful that they were willing to do it at the last minute. The verse goes like this. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. If you know that song, Sing it aloud. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that every believer in this room has the Holy Spirit of God, that we walk around as temples of your presence. And that is an amazing thing that we need to be reminded of daily. But Lord, I also ask that every person hearing these words this morning would know that their walk with Christ does not end there and that they are called to walk and live in power through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would give people all over this room and maybe watching online power to defeat sin in their lives, power to bear burdens, power to care for those around them. Lord, we know that these are miraculous things, but you are the God of the miraculous. You are amazing and you are capable and we thank you for it. And Lord, we ask for your help even now as we go. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.